How do we get our students to be actively engaged and teach in a way that inspires both children and adults? This week's guest, Kevin Butler, shares the secret on how to balance between being a teacher and an instructional leader. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And Kevin, we have met in person at the Teach Better Conference, and it was amazing. I have to admit, though, I'm a little embarrassed because the first time I met you, I didn't even know it was you in the room. (laughs) (laughs) We were setting up, I don't know if you even remember this, but we were setting up for the conference with the Teach Better team the night before, and I don't know if it was jet lag or lack of sleep, but I remember, you know, fixing up the conference room and all these different chairs and things, and someone said, Kevin Butler's here, and I was like, where? And I didn't even realize that you were in the room with me. And I think you were like doing something with balloons or something. Yes, I, I probably was a lack of oxygen because I was pouring <laughs> up a lot of balloons. <laughs> so it was amazing to, to meet you at the conference and, and we got to speak a little bit. And you were on one of my bonus episodes from the Teach Better Conference. And you just did some phenomenal things at the conference. And one of the topics that we covered just a little bit that I want to expand on is just your role on your campus and kind of your journey in education. Sure. Um, So I graduated college and right out of college, I got a teaching job. I started teaching fourth grade at the time I was 22 years old and I was closer in age to my fourth graders than I was to anyone I worked with. And then a few years later, I was able to loop up into fifth grade and this was all in New York out in the suburbs of Long Island. And I taught there in the same classroom for 11 years. I never thought I would leave. I would vacation a lot in California, specifically Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So I had started to make friends. I would spend two weeks, which turned into three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. And then just knowing some people via, you know, through social media uh, in about spring of 2014, a startup school contacted me and they wanted to know if I was interested in consulting with them as they were expanding from a K through four school all the way through a K through eight school. So I found that pretty interesting and through some conversations and back and forths, I decided to take that that leap and try something new. My school in New York was very generous in giving me a leave of absence. So I kind of had a an insurance policy. If it didn't work out in California, I could come back to New York. That one year turned into two years, which honestly just turned into me not wanting to return to the snow in the winter and the hot humidity in the summer for anyone who has been to New York. So I interviewed around Los Angeles. I found a home at the school that I'm at right now. It's an independent school in the suburbs of uh, Los Angeles. And it was kind of cool because it's a fifth grade position. We're a little bit departmentalized. So I only teach fifth grade reading, social studies, and math, which opens up my schedule a little bit because I'm also the director of curriculum and instruction. So I have kind of two roles. I wear two hats. So I was able to learn some new things in that administration role as well. Yeah, so I know of you through Instagram and the lesson simulations that you do and where you're completely transforming a classroom and it really looks like the students are engaged and have active learning. So where did that concept come from? So I guess the whole idea of active learning is just that idea of Kids, especially kids today, uh, not sitting in a chair all day long and listening to a teacher lecture. And student engagement, it's a big word. And I think it 
it spans over so many different things. But the way I really run with it is this idea of getting the kids truly engaged by actively participating in whatever we're doing. Um, sometimes it is more of a, a room transformation where uh, we may go on. Earlier in the year, we were learning latitude and longitude and map skills. So we turned the room, we pretended we were on a cruise ship and the entire room was set up like a, a boat um, and there were giant maps around the classroom and the kids wore lays and sunglasses. But through this entire time, they were actively engaged in what they were learning. They were actually we had these giant maps and they were plotting points. And the, the point of the cruise was that they were navigating where their cruise ship was taking them around the world through different cities. So that, that's just one example. There's kind of a movement right now of kind of a entertainment form of education. And there's some folks that absolutely love that idea and some that have some negative feelings toward it. So in regards to what you're doing, transforming your classroom, how do you feel like the culture is affected? That's a great question because today, actually, I did something. We are just starting our unit on the American Revolution and Hamilton, the musical Hamilton, just ties in exactly. So I dressed up as Hamilton, and for the past two weeks, I have been trying my best to learn the song and the dance that goes along with it to really get the kids excited. And we have a parent at our school who owns a costume company, so he set me up with a really great Hamilton costume, and it was. It was a performance, and we actually had some veteran teachers who retired from our school visit our school today. So there was a group of five women who came in who have probably been out of the classroom for a, a solid 10 years. And they were so happy to see this happening in social studies, how the kids were so excited about learning about American history. And one of them actually said to me, she said, kids are used to being entertained. And as teachers, we also have to be entertainers. That's our job. We have to captivate them. They are used to going home and playing video games and doing things that when I was a kid, we had video games, but it was just, it was nothing like it is now. Yeah. So I think it's part of our job is we're not just teachers. We, we do have to put a performance on. And I think a lot of this came to me probably about a decade ago, about 2009, when I was in New York, that was just about the time that we were getting, you know, scripted curriculums because state testing was really important. And a lot of our funding in public school was based on our test scores. So we were handed just packets of things that we had to teach. And every classroom really was supposed to be doing the exact same thing as the classroom next door. And I was able to head down to the Ron Clark Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, which is an outstanding middle school run by Ron Clark and Kim Bearden. And I, I sat in Kim Bearden's classroom and she's also does, she does these room transformations and really is all about student engagement and sitting there and, you know, being able to listen to her, almost giving teachers permission that engagement can be rigorous when you align it to your standards. And as long as those, your performances or those special lessons are aligned to your standards, you can do it and kids get excited about it. Yeah. I mean, if I would have taken out a textbook today and we would have just read about, you know, the, the first few battles of the American Revolution or the causes of the American Revolution, I would have lost them, you know, five minutes into it. And I love the active piece where you're actually allowing students to create. And one of your projects that I've been noticing on social media is your morning co-host show. So for the listeners who don't know about that project, will you just let them know what that's all about? 
So I guess if I wasn't a teacher, I, I, I maybe would want to be a talk show host. So I kind of <laughs> took my own passion and turned it into something educational. So our school, we really value and practice personal presentation skills and how students can really interact and communicate with not just their peers, but with adults as well. And in my classroom, the way I kind of took that on was this morning co-host show. So kind of picture if anybody watches live with Kelly and Ryan in the morning, take a little bit of live with Kelly and Ryan when they're kind of chatting in the morning, add a little of the Ellen show in and then late night with Jimmy Fallon. And it's kind of a big combination of all that. And every day, the students, I, I pick somebody new, we, we take turns, it's optional, nobody's forced to do it. And the first couple of minutes, they, they, it's, it's, it's our morning meeting. So they're running our morning meeting by telling us what they did when they went home the night, you know, the night before, what they may have done with their family. Maybe they had piano lessons. Maybe they had a football game. Then they are expected to be able to communicate back with me. Mr. Butler, what did you do? Where maybe did you dine out? Did you see any friends? Then uh, we always have a question of the day when students come in, they, they have a journal that they're writing in. So we share our own answers to that question. And that co-host for the morning also randomly picks on some kids to share their responses. Then we play some type of little icebreaker game together. Today we had to, I had a list of, it was like a true or false game. So the kids had, I gave them some, the, my co-host a sentence and they had to determine if it was a true statement about me or a false statement about me. So it's just that whole idea of building community and then yeah. they close it up. Um, so it's, it's just a fun way to begin the day. So what's been the response? I mean, you know, some teachers are starting to understand about the social emotional aspect of things and they're bringing in check-in and different activities in the morning to kind of learn about their students. So have you seen a change with the dynamics and your relationship with your students through this activity? Uh, definitely. I think we just get to know each other on such a different level. And, you know, when I'm asked about it, it looks like it takes a lot of time, but it's really seven to 10 minutes at the most. Yeah. And it's that first seven to 10 minutes of the day, they get a couple of minutes to unwind, talk to their friends. Like I said, they do write in a journal very briefly, but I think it's really a valuable way, much better than years ago when I used to maybe just give, you know, a reading worksheet or some type of math review. I think this really is so key to building community yeah. in classroom culture. Well, I want to dive into your role because it's, it's a very interesting role because you're a teacher, but then you also have kind of this administrative side to things. How do you balance the two between being a peer in the teacher role, but then also a director of curriculum? It's not easy. I think the first year I had to just kind of sit back and really look at it all. I, I was given some advice to just take it all in because it takes a year to really see the beginning to the end. But in that role, I have a bunch of different responsibilities. So some of the things are easy, like just reviewing current curriculum. If a teacher is interested in looking at something new or adding something to the curriculum, I kind of take a look at it. Um, I kind of vet it for people. I provide PD at our faculty meetings. I bring in PD as well. I'll, I'll vet people to come in. I lead some book clubs and, and talks like that. But that first year really was just kind of learning the culture of the school. I'm kind of a believer that small steps, <laughs> you go a long journey with small steps. Uh, so just that idea of really, again, building trust and listening to people and getting to know people, getting to know their needs. 
it's it's great because I am also like a middleman where maybe it's a little more stressful for me. But sometimes if teachers are too nervous or intimidated to go to their immediate director or their immediate supervisor, they'll kind of ask me my opinions or my thoughts or ask me to kind of get some more information. And then administration will do, do the same thing. They'll kind of ask me, what's the temperature out there? You know, what are teachers saying about this? How do you think teachers will feel if we bring this person in or do this? So I think it's a win-win for everybody. So I'm a true believer that every educator is a leader on a campus. And there are some folks out there that do not have a leadership title, but they are wanting to make an immediate impact on their campus. For those folks, what kind of advice would you provide them? Find a good mentor. That was so important for my role because being an administrator is so different than being a teacher. I considered myself to be a really good teacher, but I am no far that great of an administrator yet because I'm still learning all those things. Um, Because you you get to see a whole different perspective. You get to see the whys and the why nots. I give, you know, advice would be to try to, if you're interested in being a leader, a lot of things take place over the summertime. So if you're able to be present on on your school campus during the summertime, that's a great time. Communication is so important. I was told to ask questions. I may not get an answer right away, but if something was confusing or I didn't understand why something was happening, to ask, to ask respectfully and kind of learn as it goes. I think you have to be ready to, you know, to be able to compromise with people, patience. Don't be reactive. Kind of just just watch and take it all in. So what is maybe one struggle or failure you had in your leadership journey that created the most growth? Probably the the idea that I am a perfectionist and we have a team of about 60 really great teachers, but every classroom is different and everybody executes things differently. So in your mind, you may think, well, this is how it should be. And my greatest lesson with that was, you know, I would be frustrated in the middle because maybe we would get a new curriculum or some type of new resource. And I wanted teachers to use it right away because I knew kids would be benefiting from it. Advice that I was giving was go spend time casually, you know, with that teacher in their classroom. And it's amazing to see how many different ways the same thing can be executed and executed successfully. You might have never thought of it that way, but it works. And something that kind of came from that was this idea of teachers getting time to spend time with other teachers in our, in our building. So that's been a huge plus that if you wanted to see another teacher teach social studies, make an appointment with them and just go in and you get to watch them, you know, you observe each other and that whole idea again of it kind of creates a, a culture of trust within your colleagues. So with that program, were any of your teachers hesitant? Oh yeah, I think most of us were hesitant in the be in the beginning because it's nerve-wracking to be observed by an administrator, but I think it's even worse by a peer because you don't want to disappoint them. It's that idea of building trust and knowing that, well, if they're going to come in to see me, I'm going to come in to see them and kind of going with that idea that no one is going in with a critical lens. We're just trying to be reflective and gather as much good as we can. Um, that we could take into our own classrooms. So for those who are looking to build their craft and maybe even expand on their leadership journey, what was it that helped you in regards to creating professional learning network? 
social media is so important. I know social media sometimes get, gets a bad name, but I've connected with so many people, even just, for example, I mean, the Teach Better conference was was unique because when I went there, one, I had never been to Ohio before. <laughs> and two, I had never met any of those people in real life. I had knew a few of them from social media, but within 48 hours of connecting with these people, I left with you know, a handful of new friends who now we obviously live all across the United States, so we can't see each other every day. But that idea of being in touch through social media and following people who have similar philosophies that you do, I think is so, so important. Yeah. With the Teach Better conference, you had an opportunity to speak and, you know, your whole idea was, you know, creating the experience, right, for our students. So what was kind of the main concept of that session that you provided? So it was a kind of hands-on workshop. It was a little different than most of the other presentations because it was about student engagement. And my big thing, like I said before, is student engagement can and should look differently from classroom to classroom. I'm not there to tell you how to execute it. I was just there to really show how you can take your own academic content and kind of turn it into an experience for your students. So I went through a whole list of things that I do with my class that really you can do with any content that you have. And then we went through some classroom games that, again, that you can play with your class to review academic content, whether you teach kindergarten or whether you teach, you know, a a 12th grade honors class. Uh, We went through some technology pieces that I use and project ideas. We shared a lot of resources. um, And just that idea of how to get kids actively engaged in their learning. So there was a lot of sharing going on. And it was awesome to to meet you at that conference. But then also, we are together a part of the Teach Better Speaking Network. So yes. how, how did that come about to be a part of this team? I think I was stuck in traffic driving on the 101. <laughs> <laughs> Home from work and Ray actually called me and she's like, would you at all be interested? And maybe your name has come up a couple times. And I, I was like, would I be interested? And I, I jumped on it as fast as I could. So I'm so excited to be a part of that. I mean, we have some really top-notch presenters and leaders in that group. Oh, yes. I'm so excited. I'm honored to be a part of a team with such fabulous educators, one being you, Kevin Butler. But I also want to talk about another piece of exciting news is that you are now the host of a new podcast called Lights, Camera, Teach. So for those who haven't had an opportunity to listen to your podcast yet, what is that all about? I blame you for it because (laughs) (laughs) you turned me onto this entire world of podcasts up until maybe three months ago. I didn't even really know what a podcast was, (laughs) but you hooked me on it. There's so many out there. It's really awesome. Um, So yeah, so I I decided to kind of tell my story, put it out there. Um, I have what I kind of call these five teaching non-negotiables. And each episode I touch upon a different one of those non-negotiables. And I kind of tell everything through, through a story. Every episode ends with either me interviewing a a former student of mine who had been through my class, a a former parent who had a child in my class, or a teacher friend out there and kind of getting their their point of view of what's going on in the world, what maybe they remembered from my own class. So it's been exciting. Not easy, but exciting. Yeah, and I want to talk about that not easy part. So what are some, some things that maybe someone who's starting a podcast, what should they know about the whole process? Practice, practice, practice will hopefully make perfection. (laughs) Um, I didn't realize, I think I had the opposite. Like most people I think are scared to talk in front of people. Mm -hmm. I can talk in front of a room of probably 2000 people. It doesn't bother me at all. 
But when I sat down in front of just me and my computer, I was like, wow, this is not as easy as I thought. I had some notes written on a piece of paper, but to be able to talk and keep it a conversational part, Mm -hmm. um, I found that really difficult. So I would write a little down and then I didn't want to read off of a script because then it sounds like you're just reading from a book. So again, it just took took practice. I like the interviewing part because you kind of have two people on and you can kind of feed back and forth. But I think the best advice from from how I'm doing it is trying to create a story rather than just talking facts. You just said it. You could talk to 2,000 people and it doesn't really bother you. I also know that you blog and do a whole host of different things as far as having a voice. So at what point did you feel comfortable sharing out to a bunch of people about your practices? Some friends here actually who in LA who were principals or had leadership roles at school, that's how it all started. A couple of years ago, a former colleague of mine at, who worked at that startup school that I started at just asked me, would you be interested in you know, coming in and talking to my teachers before they went back to school in September? And I, I said, sure. Um, I had been to plenty of conferences before and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to talk about. So I kind of asked her what her school needs were and she had been following me on social media. So she kind of said, well, you know, we, we saw some of these things and I think those are some things that we would like to start implementing in our own school. So it kind of just started with me going to one of our local schools here in LA and then she talked to another principal. So it, it's kind of been with that. And then Teach Better was one of the, the first bigger ones mm-hmm. that, I, that I spoke at. If anyone hasn't followed you on social media, they definitely need to, but how can they follow you on your different platforms? Sure. It's super easy. It's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's just the Kevin J uh, Butler at whatever handle that that, that is. Um, and the only reason why the the is there is because Kevin J Butler had, had already been taken. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing too, and I, and I don't want to skip over this, but you blog. So what is the blog about and how can they get a hold of that literature? Blog can be found right on my website, which is just uh, the kevinjbutler.com. Um, and again, it's kind of just, again, it's geared to those five non-negotiables. So kind of after I do a podcast, I kind of think about what I, I spoke about and I kind of put it into real paragraph. And yeah, it's, it's just really, again, those five non-negotiables, kind of my kind of giving explaining what you may see on social media. A lot of times I'll get messages, well, how did you do that? Or where did that resource come from? So I'm, I'm kind of answering those questions or how, what are the directions of that game? Or how do I make that game? So it's kind of me answering all of these questions that I've gotten over the years of being on social media. That's awesome. Kevin, it's always an honor to speak with you. I cannot wait to see you at a conference, speak with you again. Same. Love the fact that we're on the same team, the Teach Better Network, and I just appreciate your time this evening. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.